Hello, and welcome to the Fast Leader Podcast. HFL is producing the podcast to help the ongoing learning of our alumni of Fast Lead Small Group Coaching and Leadership Development Program. At HFL, we're about helping frontline leaders lead better and be the best leaders they can be, because every employee should have an inspiring leader. Hello, my name is Darren Fox, and I'm your Fast Leader MC, and this episode of the Fast Leader Podcast is about setting priorities for your team when the future is uncertain. In the Fast Lead program, we work with people managers to develop their priority setting techniques for managing their own time. We introduce tools like Covey's Magic Quadrant to assess tasks and identify what is most important. Managers often face ambiguity due to new competitors, disruption, changes in leadership, and shifts in strategy. So how can we set priorities in an uncertain and ambiguous environment? Today in our virtual podcast room, we have uh, Sally Armstrong, an experienced executive leader with strong mentoring and coaching skills. And we have Kirsty Allen, principal consultant and executive coach at HFL. Welcome, Sally and Kirsty. Hi, Darren. Hi, Darren. Okay, Sally, we'll start off with you. Even at the best of times when everything is BAU, There are so many risks of spending time on time wasters, activities which don't move a team towards adding real value to the customers. Certainly uncertainty must surely increase this risk. How can managers best manage this situation when the criteria for deciding what is important may no longer be known? For me, one of the most serious impacts of spending effort and resources on time wasters is the impact that it has on people's own individual value. And I think One thing's for sure is that people love to come to work and they love to see their efforts result in something tangible. And I think even when times are uncertain or certain, one thing that's really important for a team is to and for a leader is to understand what is their unique value proposition. How are they delivering value to the organization within the context of the organization? And I think that's one of the best ways a leader can make sure that they're empowering their team to focus on what's really important is that having a really, really clear true north, like why do we exist, what is our value, and making sure people are empowered to make decisions around that. Mm. Is that unique value proposition that you mentioned, is that the team's value proposition, the organization's value proposition, or each individual's proposition? I think for frontline leaders, it's about the team's value proposition. And that value proposition obviously is how does that team provide overall value to that organization's direction But I think one of the key things that sometimes we lose sight of as leaders is translating the direction of the company into how is my team helping create that direction? And what is the unique things that we can do that make us add value to this company? Kirsty, might just switch to you then. So how often do you find the leaders that you coach are uncertain about the future? And how are you advising them right now? Yeah, it's definitely not uncommon to feel uncertainty as both businesses, the environment and individuals evolve. I think as a leader, the important thing is not letting that uncertainty translate to anxiety, which can cloud their vision and focus. Um, So when coaching leaders, I'd probably focus on three things. The first one would be learning to be okay with feeling uncertainty and having discussions about uncertainty really is an illusion. So we don't need to have all the answers as leaders and and the experience of uncertainty can actually signal um, an opportunity that lies ahead. The second thing would be focusing on what they can control as opposed to what they can't control so they can choose to respond rather than react. Um, And the final one would be having a vision for the future, which sort of links back to what Sally was saying, what's the purpose, what's the um, value this team can offer to inspire a sense of direction. 
Okay. And in, in terms of you know what they can control and what they can't, I mean, does that shift in a situation in terms of whether it's a crisis or not, or there's a change in the senior executive team or is a change in CEO? Is there a sense of what they can control in those uncertain situations? It's a good question. And I guess what people can control is their their thinking. So what are they choosing to focus on? Are they choosing to focus on, you know, what they might be losing and what's changing as opposed to appreciating what might have stayed the same or the opportunity that might come with what's changing? So focusing on what they can control in their thinking and then their behaviour and their speech. So what are they choosing to say? How are they choosing to act? Um, which links back for me really to your values as an individual, what's important to you and how do you want to show up in this situation? Mm. And, you know, in terms of, of what you control and what you can influence and whatnot, I mean, that's a, another one of Covey's tools from um, the seven habits of highly successful people. Another one is that magic quadrant that we use within the FASA program that we introduce to help define what is urgent and what is important and what is not. So is this tool still relevant in a situation when the criteria used to define importance is unknown or quite likely to shift over the short term? And if there's not, are you aware of any other practical steps managers can take, Kirsty? Look, I'd argue the principles are definitely relevant, though it's probably in a um, situation where there's a crisis that the urgent and important activities have increased as businesses try to weather the crisis. And also some of the important activities I would say even more important. So things like communicating with the team, making sure they're able to stay engaged and providing certainty where you can for them. Things like planning and you know readjusting plans to cope with the crisis, taking care of our health um, and development of both the team and individuals. In terms of other tools, um, I know at HFL we've been talking and doing a lot of scenario planning, which I think is a really useful exercise for leaders. And scenario planning is really a collaborative exercise that involves considering various trends going on in the external landscape. So things in you know, technology, the economy, society in general, considering the likelihood of those occurring, what impact it's going to have on the business. And given that contemplating different possible futures um, the business can take and looking for signals which it will suggest what option to prepare for, basically, given the conditions around you. Mm. So maybe uh, just quickly, I mean, let's use the scenario planning in terms of what we're doing with an HFL, with our own team, why do you think that's helping the, the people in the team be more confident about the future? I guess it enables you to take a bit of a structured approach in terms of what's going on in the environment. And when we don't know things, we sort of look at two different ends of the spectrum. So with travel and border control, for example, we might look at border control is going to remain quite strict over time and travel is going to be very expensive versus it's going to go back to normal and considering that what would be the impact on the business and looking at another variable to basically create different scenarios and find where there's some commonality that can help drive business direction. I think one of the major pitfalls for any leader in times of change, whether it be a crisis or another type of change, is thinking that you have to have all the answers. Like you don't, you're surrounded by a team of people with all different skill sets and using tools like scenario planning just does increase the quality of conversations you can have with people and actually the questions that you can have answered by the different skill sets in your group. Now, I quite often say that, you know, leadership to me is about knowing what are the right questions to ask, not about having the right answers to the questions. Mm. That's right. Absolutely. And leveraging those diverse perspectives, but then seeing where, what can we agree on? So in the scenario planning, one of the things we agree on is that there's going to be more use of technology. So what does that mean for the business? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, in one of our previous podcasts, we talk about that issue, Sally, at some length. 
what are the most common sort of pitfalls of a first-time frontline leader, you know, someone who's been just promoted for the first time, is that they do tend to think, I need to have all the answers because that's what a manager needs to do. And uh, of course, even if you're a CEO, well, you could argue that probably a CEO even has less answers uh, because of the scope of the role. But you're, you're right. The best leaders know that all they need to know is how to ask the right questions in the right way to the right people. Moving on, Sally, a question I have for you. I know you've found yourself in this situation as a senior leader in terms of you know, leading a team in, in a fairly uncertain time. What did you do to keep your team focused on work when it was uncertain as to whether that work was going to be supported by the organization? Yeah, I found myself in this position quite a few times. I guess for me, there's two really simple things that I like to make sure happen when you're dealing with any level of uncertainty. Um, I guess the one is being really, really clear on the value of the work that you're doing and that your team's doing. And the second one is understanding the system or the context of the organisation in which you're trying to get the work done. I guess from the first one for me, like being clear on the value of the work it's really important to have that compelling narrative for what it is that you're trying to get done. And for me, that narrative has to be a mix of all different types of things. It has to have hard data in it. You have to be telling a story from an informed position. It should involve customer stories. It should involve you know, employee stories. It should also talk about the consequences of not acting, you know, of, of, not take, of not doing what where you see the opportunity is. And that compelling narrative is really, really important in articulating what's the value of the work you're going to do. And I guess that links back to what I said um, at the beginning is that if people can see the value in the work that they're doing, that provides some level of intrinsic motivation for what they're trying to achieve. The second piece, which I think is is absolutely equally important, is about understanding the context of the organisation you're trying to get the work done. It doesn't help to be a leader to keep that context to yourself. You need to be very open with people about what are the challenges the organisation is facing, whether they are financial, what are the changes that are coming in customer expectations, what are stakeholders demanding. You need to be really open and transparent about what the organisation itself is facing. And then that way, people can understand, oh, I'm trying to get this work done, but this is how it fits into the broader picture. The other part, I think, that's really important about having that conversation about the system is that you can involve the whole team in it. You can actually have a conversation about how might we achieve this in the context. And also you have a conversation with your team about, is this the right time to be trying to get this done? And also I think it's really important when you're doing that sort of planning with your teams is involve them in the conversation of well, what's plan B. You know, if we don't get this to happen now or we don't get it to happen in its whole entirety now, what's plan B? What's plan C? And when you have those conversations with your team, you kind of you're building resilience and a capability to pivot inherently in your team without overtly doing it. And I think that that's a leader's job in today's world is to create that resilience and that capability in their team to just to pivot, be clear on what you need to deliver, understand the system and be prepared to pivot and change when you need to. That's right. I particularly like the point to make around just moving ahead, like even in terms of uncertainty, make a decision in terms of what you know, and then move ahead. And if you have to change again, then so be it. But the worst thing you can do is wait until you have all the answers or wait until you have clarity. By the time you actually have that clarity, then perhaps you've lost whatever opportunity or people have become disengaged. Okay, I think that might be the end of part one of our podcast. Part two will be right back where I ask our guests to essentially pull out their crystal ball and 
foretell the future. And then part three, we'll, we'll take a wider view discussing uh, what managers can do best to manage their own time. Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand, but that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship, HFL's new development program for the individual contributors, technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Okay, I'm now going to put you both on the spot and ask you to predict the future, or at least offer your opinion about the future. Are we already in the new normal? Is uncertainty the only certainty right now? It is only a question of when, not if, a vaccine is found and eventually rolled out to everyone. But are we ever going to return to the way it was, in the foreseeable future at least? And what are the challenges and solutions for leaders in reducing uncertainty and ambiguity for the team? So Sally, uh, we'll start off with your crystal ball. Uh, what's your prediction? Okay. Well, I think the one thing that we know is true is that things will always change, mm -hmm. whether it's driven by a crisis or driven by changing customer expectations, changing, you know, you spoke about it before, a changing CEO can have a significant impact on an organisation. Change is always going to happen. We know that. And I guess one of the things that's paramount for leaders today is that they've got to create the capability in their team to adapt and thrive in a constantly changing environment. You know, I think that's one of the biggest gifts a leader can give their team is to empower that team to feel comfortable with the fact that things are not going to stay the same for very long. Mm. I personally like to use some quite practical ways of, of helping my team do that. And I yeah. think as a leader, it's really important that a team is really clear on why they exist and what they do. That's good for motivating the team to understand their value, but it also provides you with this baseline of this is what we do and this is the value we create. And that's a really good baseline to have. That's right. And then as a leader, helping your team understand their own self, building their self and team and system understanding about you know, how do I react in certain situations and what can I do to help myself adapt to change? Mm. How does the team respond? And, and what are the things that we need to do as a team to make sure that we're creating as much certainty in an uncertain time as we possibly can. And also then having a look at the organisation and making sure that we understand the impact the changes are having on the organisation. Mm. I think that helps grow understanding in the team and actually takes the pressure off the leader to have all of the answers because you're constantly having those conversations. So I think, you know, if you're clear on your value and you're focusing on building capability within the team, the other thing that I really like to make sure happens all the time is always keep an eye on the future. Yeah. You should always, I think Kirsty alluded to it before with scenario planning, but I always like to keep one sneaky eye in the future and then grow that culture within your team where you are trying new things. You are letting people have a hypothesis and chase something down and try something and see what happens. Mm. The resilience and the energy you can create in a team by letting people hypothesize about what could be coming next and try something and learn from it, like is really empowering to a team. So that when big changes do happen, they're like, oh, I've done this before. This is not new to me. Like it might be on a bigger scale, but it's not new to me. And I guess the last thing for me in a real practical sense is that you've always got to be 
constantly checking in that your value proposition or your benchmark is still relevant. That's right. If it's not, it becomes really obvious to everybody. And in that, you've created your reason to change. You know, and it might be a small change or a big change, but inherently you've taken your team on this journey to understand why they exist, how the team operates within the greater organisation. You're letting them play in where I'm with the future and what may happen and what may come. And then you're creating this sense of, well, let's constantly check in that we're remaining relevant. And if we're not, we've got the skills to pivot. So for me, that's a really practical way. Those four things are a really practical way that you can create capability in a team to constantly adapt and pivot and change and not even really be aware that their capabilities that the team are building. Mm. And really, I mean, if a manager can do that now while still in you know uncertainty of the virus, when things do settle down, everything else is going to seem like fairly easy and straightforward in terms of being able to pivot because what's the likelihood of having such a change like this in our lifetime again? Hopefully never. Yeah, it's interesting because I find in times of crisis, having worked in the water industry for quite some time, managing crisis is really difficult because everything is urgent and everything is important. But it does take away some of the noise about why we need to change and takes away, I guess, some level of influence that some noisy voices can have. When things are not in crisis and you need to change, that's where that reason for why you need to change and making sure you have a really clear direction of where where you need to go and why becomes even more important. Exactly. Kirsty, what's your uh, prediction for the future? Are we ever going to return to quote-unquote normal? I mean, I, I think there's some things that the crisis, I guess, has helped us accelerate. Like when we think about flexible working and, you know, remote working, that's obviously become the norm now. A few organisations are doing it quite well now. Everyone's been forced to do it in situations where they didn't think it was possible, whether it was a call centre or whatnot. So in that sense, I think we've been able to achieve something earlier than expected. And yeah, I think that the idea of normal is hard to define. As Sally was saying, it's about being continually on the ball in terms of are we relevant, what do our customers want, and being able to focus on continuous improvement. And I think part of what helps ease that is going back to the why and why we're doing this. And I hope that this virus has shown people how quickly things can change. So are they spending their time doing something they love and they're passionate about? Because if they are, I think it's easier to change and adapt because you're just following what's important to you and, and what the people you're serving want from you. Back to something Kirsty just said that I think is, is really important to pick up as leaders is she pointed out that we've been able to move to different ways of working faster than, than we thought we could. And I like to sit back and ask, well, why? Why couldn't we do this before? Why did it take a crisis for us to be able to realise these things, which were obviously possible, but we needed something quite significant to everybody focused in the right direction? I think that's a big lesson for leaders in that is human beings can achieve so much when we all put our effort in the same direction. That's right. And again, it emphasizes to me the point that any situation, no matter how extreme, including a crisis, can be viewed as a luxury and be a learning opportunity. And you make me think about recently in the news, I can't remember his name, you know, some global expert in medicine. And he was saying, you know, what we've achieved already in the last few months in terms of coming up with a virus would normally take five years. Five years. And I was asking myself that very question that you're asking, well, so it's possible then. Why does it have to take so long? Why can't we always be like that when we put our minds to it? Mm-hmm. Kirsty, one thing that is never going to change is the choices 
of what you don't focus on is just as important as the choices you make as to where you will focus. In fact, there will likely always be more demands on your team's time than what can be undertaken. How do we say no diplomatically when asked to do things that aren't part of our priorities, even when everyone knows that the priorities are constantly shifting? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm a big fan of using the calendar. So I block out um, my time in terms of what I'm going to be working on over the week. And so then if a request comes in, I can look at what needs to be done, what is flexible, so I can judge whether I can take that on or not. And then because I've got that in front of me, it's a lot easier to say, look, I'm actually working on you know X, Y, Z, which I need to do because of you know, whatever the reason is. So I can't get to your thing until another day and be able to see my diary when I can get it. So it's very easy then for them to see, I guess, how I prioritize something. Okay. And Sally, as a, as a leader of customer engagement, the tendency I find in teams or divisions like that is to always say yes and, and then figure it out later. Did you ever have to say no to a request for your team's assistance? And, and how did you sell that no? Yeah, I think your point, Darren, that there's always more work than there is resources to do it is a good one. And we introduced the concept in my team is it's not always black and white, yes or no. Sometimes it's a yes, but not now. And that's a really important distinction about how you communicate the message. Mm -hmm. When I was leading a centralized customer team, the big lesson that I'd learned was the importance of having a really clear prioritization framework. So how are you going to make your decisions? But involving all of your key stakeholders in the development of that framework getting them to commit to that framework and then involving them in the prioritization decisions mm. because that means that it's transparent. Everybody can see it. And then if someone has a pet project or is the loudest voice in the room, you've actually got some decision-making principles that negate that loudest voice. And sure, not everybody's going to be happy with all of the decisions, but they're going to be less disconsent with what you're doing yeah. because they've seen the transparency in the decision-making and they've been a part of it. Mm, yeah, and exactly. And one could suggest that or even predict that if, you know, if, if I was one of those leaders involved in your development of your stakeholder criteria and matrix, I would probably know in advance that you're probably going to say no anyway, because it's not meeting that criteria that I helped design. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it never works perfectly. But the other thing that it does is it makes the conversation happen in the room. And you can actually, you can test your framework by gut feel after you've done it. Is everyone happy with what you're going to do? And if not, let's have a conversation about it. It, it brings those backdoor corridor conversations into the room when you can be talking about, okay, so is this the right thing? And are we all on board? And you can get people, yeah, eyeball people for the commitment to do that. Mm, absolutely. Okay. That brings us to the end of part two of this Fast Leader podcast. Stay with us for the third part where Sally and Kirsty give their top tips for setting their own personal priorities. Are you a frontline leader ready for your next step? Fast Lead Plus is a program of short, sharp, small group coaching sessions to prepare you to take that next step. In a small, tight-knit group, you're coached by an experienced leadership mentor with plenty of time between sessions to practice new skills and tools. Improve your leadership capability and confidence. Learn more at fastlead.com. Okay, welcome back. And we are in the third and final section of this Fast Leader podcast. 
So far, we've been talking about what leaders can do to keep their teams focused on priorities. But what about the leaders themselves? I thought I'd finish this podcast talking about how managers can best manage their time and stay focused on their priorities. Some of the techniques we share in the Fast Lead program to help managers focus on priorities are such as prioritized from 30,000 feet, schedule and time to complete specific tasks, uh, which is what Kirsty mentioned, getting your to-do list on your calendar, be strict with your time, and then probe for deadlines to establish the true situation, which um, Sally uh, alluded to as well. So Sally, what are some of your top tips that you use for managing your own time? Okay, I, I really like all the ones you actually listed okay, tick. <laughs> and quite often employ those. But I guess um, one of the things that I do is that I like to close out every week, like every last day, whether it be a Friday, I spend the last hour, hour and a half planning out what my next week looks like and doing a little bit of a review of the week that I just went through. And for me, what that means is having a look at the upcoming week and noting down what are the two or three big ticket items that I just have to get done. And I actually write a little A next to them. Like these are my top things that I need to get done. I then go through and, you know, go through my list and then put what are my Bs that would be really great to get done, but they're not urgent enough that they need to be done in the next week. But if I've got time, absolutely. And I do go and I put the C's down and the C's are always my wish list and I never get to them, but at least I'm creating a really good list of the things that I need to get done. That helps me plan what are the things that I need to focus on. But also really importantly, I know myself and I know when I'm most productive and I know that Monday mornings are usually my least productive time because it takes me several cups of tea and um, a little bit of uh, getting my mind back into the the professional zone. So I actually write myself like a list of four to five things that when I come in Monday morning, just get them done. Yeah. And it means that I start the week very productive. It means that I get to morning tea time on a Monday and I've already achieved some things. And it's why I've allowed myself to also wind into the week And I think knowing yourself as a leader is really important. If I start a task and I know how much time it should take me, and if I find my mind wandering, I go, right, that's it. This is not the right time for me to do this. I'm going to move this to the next day and I'm going to just do something else right now. So I think knowing yourself and knowing how quickly you should work and knowing when you are most productive is also really important. Mm. uh, By the way, I'm I'm completely the opposite in terms of uh, Monday mornings. I've already admitted this to our CEO that Monday mornings, I, I feel like I can take on the world, do anything. And by Friday, I feel like I've got nothing left. I've given everything I've had by Thursday night. All right, Kirsty, what are your personal hints or tools that you use to manage your time? Yeah, I think those, those ones are great in terms of knowing when you're going to be focused and productive, as well as um, avoiding distractions. So that, that's why I carve out my time and don't get distracted by my emails unless I plan on responding to them at that moment. Um, another one that's been really useful for me is just asking myself, is this the best use of my time? Because I tend to be someone who can be quite detailed, so I can spend too much time on something that doesn't need it. <laughs> so just asking myself that question allows me to let go of some perfectionism and just get something off my plate quicker than I probably would have otherwise if I had my own way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And delegate when you can. I, I find in terms of delegating is if it's the best use of my time or not, but it can also develop someone within my team through that activity and use it as a, a learning technique. Sally? Yeah, I think delegation is something that is really, really important as a leader, but I even make time to delegate tasks to somebody. Mm. 
delegating a task is all in the setup. It's all making sure somebody is clear on what it is you need them to do, you know, what's the context, what's the purpose, what's the outcome you need. And, and I find that spending time in the setup and actually putting time in my diary to delegate things to people is a really important way of making sure that then it is fully delegated yeah. and the person feels supported and they know it needs to be done and, and they can often be off and running. Mm. That's a really important point because I do find in my coaching conversations with managers that when I break it down in terms of figuring out what went wrong between them and one of their employees, it kind of sounds like you weren't really clear that you just thought you could flick something and you did your job to delegate and how important it actually is to set the scene and set expectations and understanding and get them to person to sort of, can you just say back to me in terms of what you think the deliverables are? Yeah, I was having a conversation with my partner the other night. There was a communication breakdown and um, at halfway through the conversation, I said, well, why didn't you read my mind? Um, <laughs> mm. And then we found where the problem was. <laughs> Probably one of the most common marriage discussions or phrases there is, what, you can't read my mind? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That was very valuable and, and useful. Thank you very much for your time, Sally and Kirsty. Yeah, thanks for having us, Darren. Thanks for having us, Darren. Uh, thanks you once again. Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions. We'd love to hear ideas about topics for future podcasts. You can also check out the Fast Lead website, fastlead.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 Fast Lead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the Fast Leader Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.